Well, once again, Merry Christmas. Thank you. Um, so I want to start by asking a question. Uh, what kind of story do you tell about yourself? Or probably more accurately, what kinds of stories do you tell about yourself? Um, how do you see yourself? Are you the smart one? Are you the generous one, the funny one, the messy one? I'm the messy one, by the way. Um, are you the planner? Are you the one who likes to take charge? Are you the one who likes to be wise? Are you the, I, okay, I'm starting to see people rib each other or elbow each other. Um, <laughs> sweet. Uh, yeah, are, are you the one that you like to be, or, or do you like to be the one that people come to for advice, that people lean on? Do you find that you're the one that actually leans on other people? Um, I'm guessing that you probably have a few of these stories that you tell about yourself. And a lot of this actually comes down to identity. And, and our identity, the way that we think about ourselves and who we are, um, is very deep. And it goes very deep into uh, really what it means to be human and how we as human beings experience life. And your perception of yourself is going to uh, really, really dictate the way that you experience life, the way that your story, just as your life, starts to play out. Um, an interesting thing about like, human beings is that we are also very connected. Even if you go off and live uh, as a hermit somewhere in New Mexico, I'm still learning the geography, but I think there's a lot of blank space where you could just go. Uh, if you did that, you would still be connected to other people. There's no such thing as somebody who is completely and utterly isolated. And that, that actually creates some interesting situations. Um, this room from that perspective, is fascinating. Because if you imagine each of our lives like threads, threads that compose like a textile or a fabric or a tapestry or something like that, as our lives play out, some of us, our threads, our stories of our lives, are going to intersect once tonight and then never again. Like, I'm sure they're, they're just by sheer probability. There are people who are from out of town who have come and I will see them once tonight and we will, never part, or we will part ways and we will never see each other again. Um, welcome to Albuquerque, by the way. It's cold. It's dry. The food is spicy. It's pretty good, but it's spicy. Um, and the drivers are terrible. I'm learning this. I uh, haven't been here a full year yet. But that's, it's also a cool place. I like it. But those are things you need to know. Um, do with that what you will. Um, on the other hand, because you are sitting with other people on Christmas Eve, it means it is highly likely that the people with whom you are sitting, your threads of your story are pretty significantly intertwined. 
For many of us, hopefully all of us, but realistically, no, for many of us, that's a good thing. You're probably sitting with your family or people that uh, you're very close with. I know for me, that, that, that's a good thing. I, I love my family. And we get along, and it's great. It's been uh, wonderful growing up like that. But let's not kid ourselves. For some of us, the people with whom our threads are intertwined significantly, uh, that can be hard. And the holidays tend to bring that together. Uh, Like the old joke, uh, the shortest day of the year is December 21st. The longest day of the year is four days later when you spend the whole day with your family on Christmas. Um, That's funny because there, for some of us, there's some truth to that. And if that is hard, then I'm guessing that will also affect the way that you tell your story about yourself. It runs very deep. Now, I'm going to throw a couple of metaphors, or I'm going to add a couple of more metaphors onto this. Hopefully, some of them make sense, and then we'll draw them together in a little bit. One way to think about your life is like a a thread, a a thread of experience, a thread of meaning, a a thread of whatever, and, and we are intertwined with each other to create some tapestry, textile, whatever, which would make, in a sense, God is the weaver. He is at the loom pulling these threads together. Another way to consider it is, uh, is, is as a story, a book, play, novel, whatever. Um, how would your story get told? What themes would be present? Would it be a sad story? A funny story? A joyful story? A, a story that includes maybe some real horror? A story that includes some drama? Realistically, uh, it's all of the above. And in that sense, God is the storyteller. That he is actively telling a story in and through your life. A third metaphor is maybe a painting. Um, we, uh, uh, what would a painting that represents your life look like? What kinds of moods would it set? What, what colors would, would be used? How would it feel when you looked at it? And in that sense, of course, God would be the painter. Now, there's a catch to thinking about things like this. Because the, the, the story of humanity, like all of human history, is a constant tension between the, the stories that God is weaving, the stories that God wants to tell through your life, but then also this com- uncomfortable reality that real love demands a choice. And so God, in, in a really hard-to-explain and hard-to-understand way, has given us his creation, whether you want to go with the threads or the painting or the, or the story, the capacity to try and tell our story as we see fit. And that creates a kind of dissonance. 
a disconnection. It creates a tension with who we are as God made us and how we have tried to go about our own way. And that's where the problems start to come in. That's where the story starts to fight with itself. The tapestry or the textile starts to pull or run or it doesn't make sense. The painting starts to become marred. It it doesn't work. When you look at it, you can't quite make out what you were hoping it would be. Christmas, uh, for for all of its fun and its joy, and and I, I love Christmas, has a tendency to bring some of that out. Again, because we tend to spend Christmas with those people with whom we have some of those core memories where we got those very early, very core identities. Now, as, as you kind of grow up and mature and, and all of that, uh, one of the things that we also learn about identity is that it is dangerous. Um, if, if, you, if your identity is wrapped up in being a parent, and you pour everything you have into being a parent uh, to the point that it, it becomes basically who you are. It means that you are now on a kind of a fuse. Because ideally, you raise your kids, you pour everything you have into them, and then they leave. They develop independent lives. And then that, well, first off, congratulations, they got out. Like, they left. Um, But then who are you? Or going back to the the very beginning, the uh, the first question I asked, if you're the smart one, if you're the successful one, the rich one, the generous one, what happens when the industry changes and the market turns? And you're not in that position anymore. What, what happens to you? Your identity. Success can evaporate almost instantly. If you like being the strong one, the athletic one, your health can, can vanish in seconds. Um, identity is dangerous. Now, uh, when Luke is telling the story of the birth of Jesus, um, he, he does a couple of things that are very, very subtle, but absolutely brilliant. Because he doesn't just say, okay, yeah, they were in Bethlehem, Jesus was born, you know, it was a bloodbath like it always is, but he was healthy. Um, that was a joke. I mean, it's true, but, you know, whatever. You can laugh at that. Um, but he starts it in a very special way. He begins with, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all the world is to be registered. This was the first uh, census taken before Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke knows what he's doing. And he is starting to layer threads of story on top of each other And he is encasing it, Jesus' birth, within these stories. 
Now, why is that significant? Caesar Augustus, at that time, was the most important human being on the planet. Uh, he born Octavian. He was the, uh, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. In the Battle of Actium, he defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra and, and reunited what will become the Roman Empire. He brought peace after 10 or 15 years of brutal civil war. He was the first Roman emperor. And in fact, and Luke would have known this, this was absolutely, like everybody knew this by the time uh, Jesus was born. It was clear that Caesar Augustus was going to be one of the most, if not the most influential human beings in the history of the world. So again, Luke starts telling the story of Jesus' birth with the story of Caesar Augustus, who, for all intents and purposes, really would be the most one of the most influential people, at least in Western history, if not the world. And Luke is embedding in that thread or in that story the birth of somebody who will be much greater. But there's more. When Jesus grows up and he starts his career, he will start to make some very inflammatory observations. And he will start calling himself or referring to himself uh, very subtly as the, the actual presence of God. Now, shameless plug, we're going to talk about that tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning. Be there. Um, now, as you can imagine, if a guy is going and running around saying, like, he is the sacred, actual, manifest presence of God, it, it's going to be weird at best. Um, for the high priesthood, who were honestly pretty scummy and pretty corrupt, uh, this was a threat to their power, which is why they eventually move against him and get him killed. But Jesus is very clear that he is the new temple. He is the new presence of God. If you want to know where God is, you find God in Jesus. Now, let's take a step back and connect that to what we were just talking about. Um, if God were just looking at the however you want to call it, uh, the tapestry, the painting, the, 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 the script or the novel or whatever of human history from a distance. Well, that's one thing. But tonight, Christmas Eve, we celebrate the moment when the weaver wove himself into our story. The painter painted himself into our story. The writer wrote himself into the story of humanity. That baby born is human, yeah, but he is divinity wrapped in human flesh. He is the presence of God, and he enters into it just like us. He enters into our story 
which is why Luke begins telling that the way he does. Now, if Jesus has written himself, or excuse me, in Jesus, if God has written himself into our story, then he's done a couple of other things as well. As Jesus goes through, uh, through his career and, and leads really to his inevitable death, he starts drawing everybody to him. And, and what, one way to picture this is that all the threads of story, your thread, my thread, the story of all of our lives, is in, in kind of a hard-to-describe way woven to meet at this point where Jesus is. All of our stories intersect with Jesus' story. And so when Jesus goes to his death, uh, executed by corrupt religious leaders, in a very real way, he, he takes on the darkness that humanity has to offer. Like all of our, the Bible uses the word sin, all of our, our tendency to write our stories the way we think they should be written or, or, or our, our tendency to insist that we are in fact the main character in this story, which is ridiculous. And when, when, when Jesus walks out of that tomb three days later, he creates something new. New creation. Something that isn't touched by death. It's not corrupted like everything else. And this has uh, some interesting effects. I imagine if you're, you're standing before Jesus, because one day you will. And maybe on the one hand, going back to identity, you're the one who likes to be in charge, likes to be the smart one, the capable one, the one who has it together. Now, standing before Jesus, are you really going to be willing to assume that you are, in fact, that important? I would recommend not. None of us here, unless I'm totally misread the crowd, none of us here is going to make that mark on history like someone like Caesar Augustus. We are regular Joes and Janes. With the thread in human history, we will live and we will go and that's it. So on the one hand, insisting before Jesus that we are in fact uh, very important in this story seems kind of ridiculous. But that's kind of obvious. The other side is where the power of Christmas really comes. Think back to our, your identity. How have you heard the messages in your life that have kind of defined you? How do you define yourself? What shapes the way you approach the world around us? Because we have a tendency, I maybe even call it a temptation, we have a tendency to define ourselves by the worst in us. It's very easy to define myself 
by my own mistakes. It's easy to pattern my life and the way I think about it in the wake of relationships that have struggled or have fallen apart or the mistakes that we have made the dark parts of our heart that we, to be honest, try not to show anybody. And so, if you find yourself in that category, imagine again, standing before Jesus, insisting that you're going to define yourself by the worst in you. When in reality, this Jesus is the one who is God writing himself into your story, seeking to redefine who you are, not by your mistakes, not by your failures, not by your blown up relationships or the times you've lied and cheated and stole or, or anything like that. But instead, he has written himself into your story to define you by new creation. That that same animating force or spirit that caused Jesus' body to breathe again and walk out of his tomb is offered to you. Why would you want to define yourself in any other way than by the one who gave himself for you, dying in your place, defeating death itself so that that, that very animating spirit can beat in your heart also? That's Christmas. Amen. As you are able, I invite you to rise.